Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we'll be reading verses 13 through 16. If you're using your pew Bibles, that can be found on page 967. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 13. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you is true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. ways to please God and also to Pastor Gerald our shepherd who is faithful in preaching the word of God and to the elders who serve with him and also to all of you good morning I'm glad to be here with you again to share the word of God and to join in fellowship with all of my brothers and sisters in Christ we also are giving thanks and celebration with Pastor Greg and Ashley on the birth of another child into the world. And we all look forward as a congregation to helping to spoil that child. We are also grateful for all the staff changes and the fall events that are coming up. The Lord is doing some incredible things here at Calvary Memorial, and we are thankful for his great working among all of us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we give you thanks for your kindnesses toward us. In Christ, all your promises are yes and amen. We ask that you would do a work in the preaching, hearing, and obedience to the word of God so that our lives might look more like Christ, that there might be credible witness here in Oak Park in every corner where we work, reside, and play, in Berwyn and in Cicero, in Elmwood Park and in River Grove, in the western suburbs, downtown in the city, all over Chicagoland, and in the places where all of our mission partners serve around the world, some in places where the name of Christ has yet to be heard. Please, God, do a work in us so the name of Christ would be magnified in all these places. Now, God, give us grace to hear what the Spirit would say to each one of us and to our church as a whole. Be kind and gracious to us, and we give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Pam and I worked hard this summer to establish new sections of plants in areas of our backyard that had experienced great soil erosion or great dog traffic. Hosta, boxwood, canna, lavender, and hydrangea all went into the ground with some other ground cover vine whose name I cannot remember right now. We placed the plants in the ground with fertilizer. We gave them plenty of water. They had access to plenty of sunlight. And we fenced areas and rearranged outdoor furniture in configurations that forced our dogs away from trampling the fledgling plants. This past week, however, we were saddened to see that some of the plants did not seem to be flourishing as we had hoped. One had completely withered. Others were languishing. They just weren't doing that well. Although the plants in our front yard are growing like something in a gardening magazine, and you can smell the Russian sage from several feet away, the lack of growth of the plants in the backyard was pretty discouraging. Friday morning, as I was letting the dogs out for their morning romp in the backyard, I paused to look over at the floral death zone. I could see that one orange-colored flower of the canna plant had bloomed so quickly. I snapped two pictures of the plant, and I texted it to Pam and said, look! I never knew I could get so excited about a flower. I just... But that forced me to pause and reflect on why I was so excited. I was excited because amid the withering fauna and slow growth of many of the plants, the investment that we had made in the yard and the plants showed a sign that growth was happening. That sign was encouraging and gave me hope that the investment in the other plants would yield fruit too. As we will see in Paul's experience with Corinth, Ministry and the maturing of believers can work much in the same way. For years, pastors, other spiritual leaders, and parents pour into our character, our education, athletic and artistic abilities, and our spiritual development. We are hoping that all the product of the Spirit one sees in scripture will manifest itself within a group of believers under our care. They, we, are never fully certain if the spiritual fertilizer and the watering that we are doing will do their things within the people we are seeking to see grow into Christ-likeness but we watch for some signs of growth. 
Signs that will bring great excitement, joy, hope, and assurance that the people who we are serving are maturing by the power of God. These signs also serve to reassure you that you are in a healthy place and are not wasting your life and time in the congregation in which you find yourself, whether that is Calvary Memorial or another gospel preaching assembly. I want us to look at two encouraging signs of growth in this passage. And I want us to think about what they mean for our own maturing in Christ. First, we gain an encouraging sign of growth when who we claim to be matches reality. When who we claim to be as a people matches reality. I'm looking at 13b through 14, which Paul says as he writes, and besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame, but just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. You are now very familiar with Paul's situation in writing to Corinth. After leaving Ephesus and writing to the Corinthians, the severe letter of correction that he references in 2 Corinthians 2.4, Paul comes to Troas and cannot find Titus. Titus had been the bearer of the severe letter. Later, arriving in Macedonia, Paul finds Titus and receives a report from Titus about the Corinthians' response to the letter. Just Titus's coming to Paul and his team brings Paul comfort from the bodily and internal afflictions that he has received while in Macedonia. Titus was like a son to Paul, which is why the tone of this section is so intimate. Paul would have felt responsible for Titus's treatment or mistreatment at Corinth. So just having Titus back to behold him gave Paul great comfort. But Titus's report of the Corinthians' positive reception of Paul's severe letter does something even greater for Paul. It brings joy to Paul and to Paul's team because Titus returns with joy, having been refreshed by the Corinthians' correction of their behavior. Seemingly, there was a slight bit of uncertainty as to how the Corinthians would receive the letter from Paul. First of all, the letter was harsh and corrective, which no one likes. No one likes harshness or having great correction. So if ever there was someone staring at a don't hate me, I'm just a messenger moment, it was Titus as Corinth read Paul's letter. Secondly, this 
was Corinth, an assembly who had not been known for evidence of the Spirit of God working within them, as 1 Corinthians also reveals. This was an assembly better known for its divisions, its lawsuits, and its selfish outlook on their use of individual spiritual gifts. So like a recent graduate or junior military officer given a leadership position in a setting in which there has been much conflict previously, Titus had no idea into what he was walking. It would have been right for him to expect some conflict and rejection, even though Paul seems to have been boasting with certainty that the Corinthians would have a God-fearing reply to him and the reading of the letter. To Titus's great joy, the Corinthians received the correction and thus they also received Titus. And when Paul hears from Titus that he has been refreshed by the Corinthians rather than rejected, Paul's joy excels the comfort that he has already received by seeing Titus. Because the report tells Paul that he was right to boast that Corinth would respond humbly. Titus has brought a sign that the gospel work Paul thought he saw in the Corinthians was taking root in them. What he had claimed to be true by faith matched reality when he received the report from Titus. Many of us have experiences that help us share the feelings of Paul's excitement. We have invested or are now investing in the future well-being of others with the hope that what we think we are seeing in their initial responses to us is genuine and will have lasting effects. In some sense, we are like the entrepreneur who has a solid business plan, makes great financial choices, hires good workers, offers a great product, and then doesn't get the yield that his fellow business owners have gained. We are down until a quarterly report finally shows a net gain and that customer interest is trending upward. The 18-hour days and the liquidation of all of our savings to begin the business is finally paying off. Can you imagine the, the contrary to this passage? What if Titus had come back with a bad report? It would have demonstrated that Corinth was questioning the truth of the gospel as Paul had proclaimed it. That would have sent Titus back home with discouragement. Then that would have discouraged Paul, even though Paul would have been comforted by being in the presence of Titus. And Paul would have felt shame before all for boasting in the believers in Corinth and saying that they were maturing it would have been a sign that they were not maturing, 
that they were not who Paul had hoped they would now be in Christ. Instead, Titus came back with an experience in Corinth that matched the picture of the Corinthians that Paul had painted, a gracious portrait stemming from Paul's trust in the power of the gospel to work on the wills of those who had received the gospel. There is an encouraging sign of growth when, like the Corinthians, who we claim to be matches reality. And we all hope that who we claim to be is matching the reality that we are experiencing here. We gain a second encouraging sign of growth when our affection for those who are growing is increasing. When our affection for those who are growing is increasing, Paul again writes in verse 15, and his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. Titus's affection toward the Corinthians increases when he replays their treatment of him. When he thinks back again and again what happened, he was on his way to Corinth having Paul's promise that there was going to be a God-fearing response. But he's not sure because he knows how the Corinthians have been in the past. So when he gets there, they're already in suspicion of him, and he knows it. As they're reading the letter, he can't tell by their faces what they are going to do in response. And then they respond positively. And so he remembers, and as he remembers, his affection for them grows more and more. Two terms describing what he remembers are significant for our contemporary context. The first is obedience. Here it speaks to the dictates, implications, wisdom, and application of Paul's severe letter of correction as Titus led the Corinthians to do what is right as Paul's representative. To think of our spiritual leaders as people to be obeyed sounds repulsive to many of us. Even though obey your leaders is stated explicitly in Hebrews 13 and 1 Timothy 5 speaks of the elders who rule well. Now I'm going to hurry past this so we don't get in any trouble here. The members of Corinth followed Titus as he guided them in the corrections sent by Paul, showing hearts, minds, souls, and strength transformed by Jesus. That transformation is evident in the second term, fear and trembling. This term is used four times in the New Testament, having its background in its usage in Old Testament Greek. As New Testament commentator Murray Harris notes, fear and trembling has a Godward orientation in the Old Testament. Harris writes on verse 15, the Corinthians were aware of what was at stake in the way that they treated Titus, who was Paul's envoy and so God's representative as well. 
They knew they would have to give account to God for their conduct. Hence, their warm receptiveness. The full circle had been turned. On his first visit to the Corinthians, Paul had come in fear and in trembling. Now these same Corinthians had received Paul's emissary with the same fear and trembling, says Harris. John Calvin says something similar in his commentary, writing particularly with application to our responses to the pastoral office. In an extended quote, Calvin says, it is true that even those that are resolute in their iniquities tremble at the sight of the judge. But voluntary trembling that proceeds from ingenuous shame is a sign of repentance. This passage teaches what is a right reception for the ministers of Christ. Assuredly, it is not sumptuous banquets. It is not splendid apparel. It is not courteous and honorable salutations. It is not the plaudits of the multitudes that glorify the upright and faithful pastor. He experiences, on the other hand, an overflowing of delight when the doctrine of salvation is received with reverence from his mouth, when he retains the authority that belongs to him for edification of the church, when the people give themselves up to his direction to be regulated by his ministry under Christ's banners. What Titus, therefore, remembers is the Corinthians' response to God manifested in receiving him as God's representative. It was the working of God in the lives of the Corinthians that made Titus love them all the more. Titus is not simply smiling as he remembers Corinth because he is thinking, wow, they really did receive me. I didn't know how that was going to go. That went pretty well. Instead, his affection for them is growing because he is thinking, wow, they are really being changed by Jesus. I think a few applications of this passage among many possible ones are significant for us. I will just look at three. First, we need to strive to have lives characterized by fear and trembling before God. Fear and trembling should not be read anachronistically so that it takes on anxious or traumatic associations. Instead, it should take on the reverent denotations God's holiness deserves. We should have lives that tremble before a God who could destroy us for acts of disobedience. That trembling manifests itself in kindness toward all others. Daily confession of sin. Humble admittance of wrongdoing toward another. Gentleness in our dealings, giving to others that patience we wish to have exercised toward us, and a pursuit of holiness in all of our thoughts, 
words and actions. Corinth's fear and trembling was toward God. It manifested itself toward Titus, but it was toward God. So if Paul had sent someone else, they would have responded with obedience because God is the one that they wanted to please. Fear and trembling results in the pursuit of growth in every area of life before God, in areas in which you are afraid to do wrong and are willing to challenge fellow believers to do what is right. All of us need to keep developing more of a sense of willingness to step into other believers' struggles with sin and not be afraid of being spoken to harshly or being told to mind our business when we are caring for fellow believers. Amen. The growth of the entire church matters to us reaching Oak Park and all of the nations. Now, pastorally speaking, I do not say these things to set everyone on a request to become fruit inspectors. Instead, as things in the lives of other believers come to your personal in-basket, discern a courageous and God-fearing response if people need help overcoming certain sins. To cultivate more fear and trembling in each of our lives. We need to take our time reading places of scripture in which God displays his power to judge us. We need to power the fire covering the top of Mount Sinai and that quaking that is going on as God comes down on the mountain. And we need to ponder more the earth opening up to swallow Korah, his fellow rebels, and their families. For a few days, we need to revisit God bringing Nebuchadnezzar's army to slaughter Zedekiah's sons and officials and then to put out Zedekiah's eyes and then to lock him up in prison until the day of his death. If you are listening to me today as an unbeliever, please hear my appeal to you with a sense of urgency. God has sent his only son, Jesus, to take the wrath of God for our sins in our place, the wrath that we deserve in our place, in your place. He raised Jesus from the dead to prove that Jesus is the only way to God and that Jesus does have the power to transform our lives and give us more than anyone else can offer. For if you can beat death, you can do anything. God offers his mercy and love to you through Jesus. Please believe on Jesus and trust him today. However, make no mistake, if you will not come in fear and trembling before Jesus in this life, you will in the next. And with wrath far greater than that of Nebuchadnezzar against Zedekiah, you will perish before the absolute holy God in fear and trembling before him forever. Here today is your moment 
to begin a life of fruitful fear and trembling that results in peace and joy rather than destruction and wrath. Second, while each of us should hope for refreshment for those, from those in whom we invest spiritually, we can't live for the refreshment. If we live for responses in others that will bring refreshment, when serving provides no refreshment and almost drains us, we might be tempted to conclude that our mode or our place of service is not the will of God. Or we could become despairing and think of ourselves as failures when that's not true. Everyone into whom we pour our lives in hope of their success and growth has a will that is free. A will that might make choices contrary to the investment that we have made in that person. Making choices that would bring us refreshment would be nice, but it cannot be absolute. Paul was serving when he was facing persecution and needed comfort. Sometimes refreshment came to him later from the people in whom he was investing. Sometimes it never came in this life. Like you, I have made choices to give myself to see the development of many persons in Christ. Like Paul here with this church, I and you have allowed people to come watch our lives up close. I have allowed people to peer into my marriage, watch how we have raised our children, and I have helped them guide their own children. We have worked through scripture together, prayed together, and for one another. We have shared in the pain of brokenness over poor choices, sin, or experiences of personal injustice and mistreatment. Some persons I have even taken in and placed on staff when I was a senior pastor or in other leadership positions or given much time to help them see that their way of looking at life or their marriages or their ministries was not right. Thankfully, as you have experienced, many still continue in the faith and are serving the Lord with gladness. Others, however, spiritually speaking, look like the withering plants in my backyard. And their lives show the pain of walking away from Christ. That lack of refreshing response to the gospel hurts. It hurts you because you gave much thinking, certainly I am going to see this person serving the kingdom of God. It hurts me because we have given time and we just knew that this person was going to live life as we are enjoying in Christ. If I were living for refreshment, I would be in great despair when the fruit does not continue in that person's life. The Lord will give the refreshing response from some Corinths. We are simply living to invest by grace. How people respond to God's grace toward them is outside of our control. 
Third, and akin to the second, we don't own the people in whom we are investing our lives. We don't own our children. We don't own students. We do not own fellow congregants nor others that we are serving. We need to have ownership of our responsibilities toward them as good and faithful stewards before God who will give an account. But all people are free and must go in directions as led of the Lord by their own free wills or in disobedience to the Lord. Growth cannot be forced or demanded. We can hope for it, but if it doesn't come in the forms we hope to see, we have to keep praying and loving fiercely. God has to bring about the growth. Paul concludes this section by saying, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. An odd phrase and maybe even oddly placed here. Some translations have a concept of boldness in this verse, believing that Paul is saying that he now knows he can be bold to the Corinthians with a severe letter and they will receive it. But the verb that some translations have translated with a boldness concept actually means to be of good courage or to be cheerful or to be confident. Paul used it in chapter 5 of maintaining a cheerful attitude toward death, knowing that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. New Testament scholar Linda Belleville reminds us that here it refers to the confident attitude Paul has toward the Corinthians, that they are going to open their hearts toward him. Paul's certainty rests on confidence in the power of the gospel. For in Jesus, claim and reality certainly match. Jesus is the one who stepped out of heaven because Corinth had people needing salvation and Chicagoland has people needing salvation. Jesus took on rejection from the Jewish leadership so that Corinth might have the grace to receive Paul and so that we can be refreshing toward those who have made disciple-making efforts toward us. Jesus suffered bodily abuse so he could work in the members of Corinth to bring the godly sorrow that would comfort the battered Paul and bring about the joyous reception of Titus. Jesus is taking of that bodily abuse as he was going toward the cross, stands as an anchor for us when life and ministry batters us and tempts us to go into full-on despair when refreshment is a long way away. Jesus took on the wrath of God toward Corinth so Corinth would mature away from their sins and toward the gospel Paul was preaching and so that you and I would live before God in fear and in trembling. In Jesus, 
we experience his affection for us in increasing measure as he fully receives us despite our sin with the power with which he was raised from the dead. Every day we are experiencing more of the love and affection that is coming from God. Even though as the eternal God, he has fully given it to us forever. But we experience it more and more as we grow in our fear and trembling before him. We can be confident that there will be encouraging signs of growth blooming among us, blooming in every one of our lives, despite all the hardships and troubles that we face in this walk before God, we can experience the encouraging signs of growth blooming among us because Jesus is the one who has done and is doing the work to establish growth in every one of us. Father, we thank you for your great grace that is ours in Christ. You have said through Paul, one plants, one waters. God gives the increase. You must do the increasing work in me, God. You must do the increasing work in every one of us. You must do the increasing work in Calvary Memorial. You must make it so people will hear the gospel through us. So do a fear and trembling work among us and refresh us where refreshment lacks from our investments here. May we be fresh by knowing that we have been loved by Jesus. It's in his name we give you thanks and pray. Amen.